this morning, uh, we're going to be in First uh, John for the next uh, four Sundays. And uh, this morning, though, Back to the Basics is what we're calling our series. And it's, it's uh, some of the basics of the faith. Um, and we're really, we're going to go chronologically, starting in chapter 1, we'll get through most of chapter 2. Um, but John is a very concerned uh, apostle. Uh, he's an older man as he's writing this. Um, John was uh, uh, the last of the apostles. And uh, I know I've even said this to you before, but um, he's an old man and all of his, in that day, 80, 85, you're an old man. Um, and all of his fellow apostles are dead, martyred for their faith. And he's all alone. He's the last of the eyewitnesses. And there's things going on in the churches that are not very pleasing to his ears when he hears. And if we remember in his younger days when uh, Jesus recruited him, when he called him, remember him and his brother, what were they? Sons of thunder, Bonerges? <laughs> yeah, sons of thunder. So we know he had a fiery spirit, even while the Lord mellowed that, if you will, uh, with age. And so, um, but the, the fire in his belly comes out, even as he's older, and he's writing these epistles. And so today we're going to look at, we're, we're seeing is joy. In these first four verses, it's interesting to me that he begins with... Uh, the uh, doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, God in the flesh, not just in his incarnation, but in his resurrection, because there's a lot of uh, junk, if you will, being taught and promoted in these churches. There was this heresy of uh, uh, Gnosticism, and this Gnosticism was pretty early uh, forms of it in John's day, but essentially it talked about this mystical higher knowledge where I can achieve this higher level of knowledge and if you're one of the initiated, then you have an insight that nobody else has. There are those who have it and those who don't. And, and the Gnostics would even say they get to the point that, it, that there's such a higher level of knowledge that what I do in the body doesn't even matter. This platonic idea that the spirit is good and matter is evil. And, and so then the Gnostics were at the point where, so what I do in my flesh doesn't matter because I have an inside track with the Lord. And there was this polish and spin being put on the gospel. And then there's this idea of uh, that Jesus only seemed to be real because if matter is evil, certainly a holy God would not unite with matter in flesh. So he could not have been a man in the flesh. And then uh, even more so, there's another group who said not only that, the man Jesus, he was a good and godly man, but the Spirit came on the man Jesus at his baptism and then left him before the crucifixion. So there's all these heretical lies being taught into the church, and John's on fire because the gospel is under attack. Um, he was, uh, we believe, uh, tradition, we say tradition, the historical records that we have, there aren't a lot, but it's believed that uh, John uh, somewhere, well, we know for certain that he was on the Isle of Patmos, so that we know for certain, because he says that in uh, Revelation, in chapter 1, verse 9, specifically, that he was in the Spirit on Patmos. Now, uh, I've got a map, put that, that map up there, yeah, there you go, there's Ephesus uh, with the arrow, that's where we believe he's writing from. The oval circle there, that's where Patmos is. 
There were mines on Patmos. The, the Romans would banish people there to be slaves to work in the mines. We don't have records of John working the mines, but he's on Patmos. Perhaps that's what he was doing. Who knows? But we know that that's where he wrote the Revelation. It's believed, though, that at a certain point, Domitian, the uh, emperor, he died in 96. Somewhere between 90 and 96, John was allowed to go back uh, to the mainland, and he located himself in Ephesus. So he's in Ephesus, and he writes his gospel. He writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the epistles in Ephesus. We know the Revelation was written on, uh, on Patmos. And so he has suffered much, and, and he has little tolerance for those who will distort the gospel because he's seen too much bloodshed, too high a price paid, and he knew Jesus in the flesh. And so these first four verses, as we look at it, we'll see that as it, as it comes out in a very, very stark way. And this John, this, this older man, the last of the living apostles, can you imagine? John's coming to town. He's the last one. Oh, and he was one of the three, right? Remember Peter, James, and John? The other guys weren't there when Jairus' daughter was raised. He was. The other guys weren't there on the Mount of Transfiguration when it got, the veil got cracked back a little bit in the, the glory of Christ. And then there's Moses and Elijah. He was. And he's the last of the group. And he has tremendous sense of responsibility and love toward the true saints of God. And he has no tolerance for those who would pervert the gospel. And he's very tender for the church. We'll see that here. In his writing, he'll use that word children. He's not being, uh, he's not putting anybody down. But here's this older man who has spent the last 60 or more years since Jesus left in intense fellowship with the Spirit and in study of the Scripture and writing his word and visions of the revelation in all of this. And he calls them children, little children, term of endearment, not, to, not a put down, but this is a father speaking to his grandkids, if you will. Little children, hear me. And he makes these appeal because of his love uh, for the people, for the church. He, uh, he had an incredible privilege. It, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 1.11, uh, Paul put it this way, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ, and that's exactly where John is standing. He's standing on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and he'll take on all comers, because I was there. Let me, uh, let me open us with prayer now, and then I'll read the four verses, and then we'll take them apart a little bit and see what the Spirit maybe has for us today from this book of First John. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for time together with these dear people. Lord, I pray that uh, your word would be powerful today in all of our lives. Uh, it is your word. I pray that it would be handled properly today. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and our spirits as we live in a day that in many ways is battling against your Christ. And Lord, the world doesn't want to hear what you have to say. And Lord, your people uh, are being marginalized and, and even attacked for holding to the truth of your word 
And Lord, and it's all because of Jesus. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd bolster our courage today. Help us to remember who Jesus is and what you've done for us. So Lord, guide our thinking now, I pray, as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting in uh, John, 1 John 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You notice right out of the box, the, the main thing that, that uh, we can discern by what he's addressing, <laughs> we can discern from that what he's refuting, and, and he's, he addresses immediately the reality of who Jesus is. Now it's interesting there in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, that which was from the beginning, if you're like me, uh, if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, okay, that which was from the beginning, how does the Gospel of John begin? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. In the beginning. Now, when I read John, the Gospel of John, and I say, in the beginning was the Word, where does my, my mind go? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You notice the, the parallelism there, that in the beginning. And I think it's very intentional. In the Gospel of John, so you beginning creation, in the beginning God, Gospel of John, in the beginning the Word, and it mentions a little farther down there that, oh, the Word, the Logos, the Word, oh, he's the creator. He's the creative agent. So that goes right back to Genesis 1. Now here, that which was from the beginning includes all of that, but specifically he's saying that which was from the beginning of the ministry, the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ, specifically the three years that Jesus lived and ministered. From the beginning of that, that which was from the beginning, because he's, he's talking about incarnation, the reality of who Jesus is, probably more specifically that last week when, the, uh, when he enters Jerusalem and Hosanna uh, and, and all that went with that and his arrest, his trial, his death, his resurrection, the 40 days after he ascended, John's authority to, uh, to speak, he begins to lay out, and it's the authority of firsthand knowledge. From the beginning, I was there. You remember, he was one of the first uh, disciples that Jesus recruited. And so he's been with the Lord from the beginning of his ministry. We know that beneath all of that, in the beginning was the Word. And the word was God. But he's building his case about the deity of the man, Christ Jesus. That which we have heard and seen with our eyes. He describes reality as he's personally known it. So in verse 1 and 2, he mentions seeing three times. So in verse 1, seeing what we have seen with our eyes, which we looked at. There's two times. Then if you skip down into verse 3, 
uh, the life was made manifest and we have seen it. So three times in the first two verses, he's mentioning the fact that I was there, I saw, I saw, I saw, I'm telling you, I saw. It's firsthand testimony to the fact that Jesus Christ is real. I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. Of course, today, with virtual reality, we may question eyewitnesses of a lot of, of, a lot of things and all that's, that's going on. But in his day, this is the firsthand testimony of an apostle. Interesting now. This is uh, Jesus uh, in Luke 10. This, uh, t- turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and hear to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And John says here, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have heard, what we, which we have seen with our eyes. Then Jesus says, your eyes and your ears are blessed for what you've seen and hearing here. Of course, you're going to pay a tremendous price for what you're seeing and hearing. That would be in the background of Jesus' instructions. You'll pay a tremendous price. But blessed are you. He's using the language of apostolic witness. This is a higher level of witness. This is, remember when the apostles, when John came to town to preach, uh, when he gave the word of God, that is God's word. Um, it's, It's not the same today. There are no apostles on the scene that have that same Uh, anointing of the Lord that the apostles had. And when an apostle says, I was there, that's that's a high level of witness. It's very interesting, uh, though, that this idea of seeing and speaking. So we're familiar. A couple of examples, though, I wanted to give us. One in Acts 4, Peter and John, remember, they're in the temple and they're preaching and they say, you can't do that and give them a little trial and send them out of the room to talk about it. What are we going to do with these guys? And they're in verse 18 of chapter 4 in Acts. So they called them, charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. There it is again. What we have seen and heard. This is an apostle saying, I heard it. I heard his teachings. I was on the mountain I heard the voice of God out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Of course, Peter was talking. (laughs) I was there. Interesting, uh, as he does this, he says, which we looked at. He says, we have heard, we have seen. Now, I think he's including the uh, entire group of the apostles. We, collectively, us, the apostles, they're dead in the body, they're in heaven, they're with Jesus, so they still live. So he could truly say we, the apostles. But specifically here, he's talking in the third person. He could could have said that which I have heard, which I have seen with my eyes, which I looked upon and have touched with my hands. But it's bigger than that. It's all the apostles together. We've, We've seen it. And it's true. And so Jesus, you remember this whole thing, uh, as he goes on here, which we looked upon, and here, this one is interesting, which we have touched with our hands. That's key. That's huge. Um, you remember Thomas. Jesus appeared to the other man, and he wasn't there. And Thomas was struggling to believe. 
I just I won't believe unless I can see him. I got to put my hands in the wounds. <laughs> Jesus appears in the room. Peace be with you, Thomas. Why do you doubt? See my hand. See my side. Put your hand in and believe. My Lord and my God. Then Jesus goes on there in Luke 24, 39. He says, see my hands and see that it is myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. It's interesting, isn't it? He says, touch me and see. He didn't say, look at me and see. He was already looking at him, certainly. Touch me and see. Isn't it interesting we see with our hands? And that's very true. Uh, if you've ever watched somebody read Braille and things like that, it's, it's an incredible thing. I used to work with uh, uh, tool makers in the old days, the way that we did things. But uh, a, a good tool maker, I mean, his hands would be calloused and scarred just from working uh, steel and that for 40 years. But he could take on a, on a clean granite surface plate, lay a p- couple of pieces of ground steel next to each other, put it next to each other. You run your hand over that, and there could be a couple of ten thousandths of an inch difference, and you can feel it. The, the, uh, the, uh, the sense of touch is incredible. And what it can do. And Jesus says, reach out, touch me, and see, and believe. Of course, He goes on to say, blessed are those who have not seen, that's you and me, I have not seen the resurrected Christ in the body. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So he's given an early apologetic for the reality of the resurrected Christ. That's where he's starting. Now he could, he doesn't have it in here, but he could have went on. I stood at the cross and I watched him die. I cared for his mother till she died. I was there. I saw it all. Peter pushed me out of the way to get into the tomb before me when we heard that Jesus' body wasn't there anymore. I was there. He's given apostolic witness, eyewitness to the resurrection of Christ. And he was there. He saw and experienced the teachings, the revelations, the miracles, both before and after the resurrection. And it's been too long. He suffered too much to give place to anyone who would obscure those realities. And he's also establishing his authority. You know, he wasn't, you know, you've got to do this because I said so. On the other hand, he was an appointed apostle of Jesus Christ. He has authority. And so he's asserting that authority in a gentle but firm way and in, in reminding the people what we've just looked at Um, We're calling that eyewitness testimony, verse 1. That's eyewitness testimony, verse verse 1. Then life itself, as we go on in uh, verse 1, concerning, so uh, that which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you, the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us concerning the word of life. Back in John chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus, this word of life. Now it's interesting, I don't know what translation you have in front of you today, but that term word there, word of life, the term word, in many of the translations, uh, 
the W will be capitalized. And so if you have New American Standard, it's capitalized. I think NIV is capitalized. I'm using ESV today, and it's a lowercase w. It's interesting. It's, it's how the translators, as they look at this text, so we know, for instance, go back to the Gospel of John, word, in the beginning was the word, that's big W, because there's no misunderstanding. He's talking about the Logos being God there. Now here, where uh, the ESV has chosen to translate it lowercase, uh, it's, it's a distinction without a difference, really, because the word of life, what is the word of life? It's Jesus and the resurrected Christ. So you could almost say these are words about the word. It's still pointing to Jesus. It's about Christ. But it's a, it's a nuance in translation that I just found interesting. And so concerning the word of life. And so that title is used uh, to emphasize and make clear that the one who came was God incarnate back there in, birth, in John chapter 1. And, and here the word has reference to that, but the emphasis is on the completion of the mission of the incarnate word, the word of life. He says the word was made manifest. He says that two times here in one verse. The word was made manifest. That is, to render apparent or cause to be seen. It was manifested before us, as we've already outlined. He wasn't, this isn't just something I heard this little story about this Jesus guy. It was manifest. He was real. He spoke to us. I heard him. I touched him. I watched him eat. Remember, uh, and I'm forgetting the reference, but he asked them after his resurrection, do you have any fish? So they saw him eat. It's not a ghost. It's a real body. Digests food. I, 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 he was manifested to us. No question of the reality of what we have seen. And we have seen it. There it is again. And testify and proclaim to you that you may know with us. Jesus uh, had told his men ahead of time. Before, night before his uh, uh, betrayal, night before he died, upper room discourse there in John, Chapter 15, verse 26 and 27. Uh, he had mentioned earlier that I'm leaving. But I'm going to send the Helper. And when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also were bear witness with me because you have been with me from the beginning. They weren't with him from the beginning of creation. They were with him from the beginning of his earthly ministry. And they, and they walked with him, and he, he recruited them one by one, and then he taught them and uh, uh, took them places and showed them things uh, that are hardly believable except for the fact that the living God did it in the flesh, walking on water, feeding 5,000. I mean, I talk about a bread machine, right? I mean, I don't know how that, you know, there's God just make, making stuff. Amazing. And they had those experiences, and then you're going to be my witnesses. And John, of that group, he's the last one. And it was made manifest. We have seen it. We testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So the giving of the Spirit. The Apostle John, over all of these years, has taught, and he's traveled, and he's wore down, 
and he's tired, he's getting near the end of his life, and the gospel is under attack, and he starts out with the fact, no, I was there, don't let anybody tell you anything else, Jesus Christ was resurrected in the flesh, he's God, I've seen it, I know, it's true. Now he goes on here because uh, a little bit of the so what, well, there's, the, there's true fellowship because this is where true joy is found now. Its basis is the reality of who Jesus is and that he is the resurrected Christ and that in his sacrifice he paid the penalty for sin. He didn't die just willy-nilly. It was totally under his control. He died when he was ready to die. It is finished. Then he died, and not before, because he had a mission. And John says, this is where we can have fellowship. Look at I've told you this stuff about Jesus, that which we have seen and heard, verse 3, and we proclaim him also to you so that you may have fellowship within us And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. To this point, John has been talking uh, when he uses his we and our, as I mentioned earlier, he's talking about me, not you. In other words, I, John, not you. You haven't had these experiences. You haven't seen the resurrected Christ. You didn't see the miracles. You weren't there on the mountain of transfiguration. So us, we, the apostles, not you. Here, he makes a transition. That which we have seen, we the apostles, not you, and heard, we, we the apostles, proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. Then he says, indeed, our fellowship, us, we the apostles, and you, all of us, can have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, it's, it's the inclusiveness of the gospel. Once you're inside the family of God, we have true fellowship with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit, but then with one another because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's the common denominator that brought, brings us together. And he's the one, as John goes on in, in this epistle, uh, that's the appeal in everything that he's going to battle against, whether it be the Antichrist, whether it be uh, the pride of, of people, whatever it is he's battling against, the rallying point is, but Jesus. That's where it begins. That's where our fellowship begins, so that you may have fellowship within us and our fellowship. You, church, me, John, and the other apostles, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. There, it's interesting um, that he's, he says here uh, at the beginning of verse 4, we are writing these things. That, that little phrase, we are writing these things. He writes something similar four times in this four, four times in this book. Here in verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 4, I write these things that our joy may be complete. We'll look at that in a second. Chapter 2, verse 1, uh, my little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. We can, we can learn some of his purposes here. Chapter 2, verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, the Gnostics, who 
want to tell you that it, Jesus is not real, who want you to live as if what you do in the body doesn't even matter, that you just do whatever you want. The liars, I write to those who are trying to deceive you. And in chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, look it, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's why I'm writing this stuff. This older man, he's on fire. They're attacking my Jesus and they're attacking his people and he's on fire. And he writes it, look at this is, this is what's really sweet. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Completeness of joy is found in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not in how my body feels, though we all appreciate it when we feel better. Uh, it's, not in, it's not in how my finances are doing, though we all appreciate it when that's going well. It's not in whether all my relationships are right right now, but we appreciate it when they are. My joy is found in Christ, that our joy may be complete. See, not, it's pretty good. It's complete. It's done. Any other stuff, man, that's, that's gravy. That's making it that much nicer. And so then you and I can have fellowship. And one of the blessings of having been here several times is I have in a small way gotten to know a few people in this congregation, and it's a blessing. Because brothers and sisters in Christ that we cross roads just here and there, and, and yet there's a bond immediately. That's because of the fellowship we have in Christ. That's what John is writing about. He's talking about the gospel in verse 1 and true. In 3, he's talking about eternal life, that we can have fellowship with each other as we first have fellowship with the Lord. That should bring great joy. You, can, you and I can fellowship unto eternal life with the Creator God. And as a result, we have true fellowship together. It's true fellowship. And praise God for it. And that's interesting to me in this whole uh, epistle that he's writing here. He begins right there. Reality of who Jesus is, the gospel, this is why it matters. Your fellowship with God, my fellowship with God, then our fellowship with one another, it all hinges right here. And if this doesn't hold, if the center doesn't hold, everything else falls away and doesn't even matter. Just go out, act how you want, forget about it, just live life to the fullest. And he's saying, that's not where true joy is. True joy is in knowing Jesus. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The psalmist said, in uh, 1611, it's not on the slide, but you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And isn't that true? Right there at the throne of the living God. Well, there's a lot packed into these four verses and, and more that we could develop here, but uh, so I, I have three conclusions uh, that I've drawn from this. There's, there's certainly more, but let's, let's look at these. So the first one is we have a rich testimony and ample evidence to the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done. A rich testimony, we have ample evidence. Do you know, for instance, the Gospel of John 
and I'm no, I'm no expert, but from everything that I've read, the Gospel of John is one of the most attested books of antiquity. More documentary proof that what we have today reflects what he actually wrote. They have a fragment from the Gospel of John, uh, some date it as early as 100 A.D. That would only be like five to ten years after he wrote it. Uh, some will go 125, 150 on that, but nonetheless, way back to the beginning, far better docket in hundreds and hundreds of manuscripts. They know for certainty, the scholars, the text you have, that's what John wrote. We have ample evidence to the reality, as uh, John said there in verse 1, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And as I mentioned earlier, as Jesus followed up with Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You're blessed if you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not fools. You're not naive simpletons who, you know, kind of like, well, we want this, you know, got to have a little hope in life, so maybe this Jesus thing will work. No, you're convinced. If you know the Lord, there's no question. Jesus is real, and he's God. We've seen him work. And he's not intimidated by what's going on in our world. One of the things that we've, we've got to watch, though, this doctrine in our life is, is often under attack in subtle ways. So there's a lot of uh, oh, movies, uh, TV series, and other things which can be very helpful. I'm not down on these things, so don't hear that. But one of the things that we've got to watch is when you see something. So you see a movie about the crucifixion, um, or you see a series about the life of Jesus, and you can learn some stuff, but there's a lot of embellishment that has to happen to make something like that be a cinematic production. And sometimes we can lose fact with fiction. We've got to be very, very careful about that. One of the things, uh, I've got a little book on the shelf at home. Uh, uh, this is Albert Moeller, Words from the Fire. It's an, it's a, uh, he, does, he examines the Ten Commandments. And when he looks at the Second Commandment about no graven images and all that, one of the things that he says, what is the problem with the visual? He says, the visual displaces the verbal. Once we see, we no longer hear. See, the thing we have to be careful about is that we don't get drawn away and forget, but no, this is the authority. What has, John, what has God said? And then everything else taken in its proper place is, is okay. But we've got to be careful because we have this rich testimony and ample evidence. Number two, the manifest presence on, of Jesus Christ on this earth is the focal point of all of history. All of history from creation in the beginning God all the way till the cross. Go in one direction. And it's after the cross, going to, to glory, to heaven, when he comes back for his saints and we spend eternity with him. And so it's the focal point. And he came in minute fulfillment of hundreds of Old Testament prophecies and he did it to purchase people for his name. Verse 2, the life was made manifest. We have seen it and testified to it, that manifest presence of Christ, and there's a manifest presence of Christ today, and it's the Holy Spirit on his people. 
And he manifests himself in our lives. And, and multiple testimonies could be given here of the peace of God that comes upon us when we really should be terrified or when, when life is falling apart and, and, we've, and we're filled with worry and yet the peace of God comes upon us and we can't explain it. Well, that's, that's, yeah, that's the manifestation of the presence of the Spirit of Christ. The helper that he sent. John, uh, or Jesus in his prayer there in John 17, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus is the focal point of history. Number three, God's people, those who have been redeemed, should be people of unspeakable joy. Unspeakable joy. (laughs) Doesn't mean you don't ever have a bad day and sometimes... Uh, we all have temperaments, right? And so we, we've got an allowance for people. But our, we should live joy-filled lives. Joyful uh, about what the Lord has done, what he has provided for us. But not just that, where ultimately where my hope and my security is and where I'm going. I get to spend eternity in the presence of Christ. And it's not we're just sitting around playing harps. He's got stuff for us to do. And we're going to be filled with joy and there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more sickness and all of this. God's people should be filled with unspeakable joy. The joy of knowing Christ should surpass and overshadow any other joys we may have. And there are some tremendous joys in life. There just are. Um, we were last Saturday, week, uh, last Saturday, Kath's uh, uncle, uh, great uncle actually, turned 100 years old that day. And I had a big birthday party for him, and we stopped by to say hi. But they're joy. He's just a godly man. He was a pastor for years, and there were dozens and dozens and dozens of people there that he had pastored, and they were there just to love on him and say happy birthday. There's joy. There's joy when my little grandson comes in the door and does what little boys do and runs over and gives his grandpa a hug. It's joy. And I thank God for it, but it pales to the, compared to the joy that we will have when we're with Christ for eternity. So even in life's struggles and heartbreaks, we remember the greater joy of knowing him. And we rest in the assurance that life is transient. Soon enough, we'll rest for eternity in him. Think about it now. This is the aged John. He suffered much. All of his fellow apostles have suffered and died, and he's the last. He's suffered prison, maybe forced labor. He's old, he's broken, and he's alone. He's full of joy because I know Jesus, and I'm going to see Jesus. They say, uh, again, this is tradition, they say when John was too old and infirm where he could no longer get around on his own, that they would put him on a, on a pallet and four guys would carry him, bring him to the meeting, the assembly of the church there in Ephesus. And this old apostle, his words to the church were love one another. Over and over and over, love one another. John, why just love one another? If you love one another, you can't do that without first loving Jesus. So if you love one another, that's the manifestation of the love of Christ in your heart and in your life. 
we're seeing is joy. We see Jesus. Ultimate joy is coming. 